The website is by far the most important owned digital asset a company has. And I think one of the first objectives of marketing, right, in, in a B2B business is to get people to the website, right? People aren't going to purchase a $50,000 or $500,000 piece of software uh, without first visiting the website. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenau. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the B2BMX Podcast. I cannot believe we're just a couple short weeks out from our Scottsdale event. And while I could sit here and give you a spiel about the value of attending the event, I think we're going to throw it back to this fireside chat style session that took place at the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange, just to give you a little taste of what you could expect at the upcoming event. It's titled, No One Knows Who You Are, A Contrarian Take on Lower Funnel B2B Marketing. Yes, that's right. It's time for B2B marketers to face it. We're not household names and no one's actively Googling us. And according to Mountain's Ali Hayeri and Plural Sites Koji Takaji, listening to your gut, doubling down and digging deeper into lower funnel strategies is just not working out. So it's a little bit hurtful, but throughout their session, the pair delivered some spicy hot takes about a better way to generate demand and more effectively reach your addressable market with targeted awareness-driven ads. So to hear these two contrarians share their insights on the marketing funnel, stay tuned as we roll that tape in three, two, one. As mentioned, my name is Ali Ha'eri. I think I've met a fair amount of you um, attending this conference uh, in the past and also in Scottsdale. First, I want to give a big shout out to all the folks at Demand Gen Report for putting this on. This is a great conference. Yeah. Sal, Vito, Claudia, everybody. It's a great conference. I, I love, I really love talking to B2B marketers. Um, it's what I've done for most of my career. And that's really the conversation that we're going to have today. Um, Koji is really, really smart. And I love having conversations with him because and I, I suspect this is something that you all would probably enjoy too as marketers. Just listening to B2B marketers talk shop. That's exactly what we're going to do here today is talk some shop. Um, Koji is incredibly thoughtful about his approach towards demand generation. He's senior director of marketing at Pluralsight. And I guess for starters, Koji, if you just want to introduce yourself and then we'll take it from there. Yeah, well, first of all, it's super fun to be here. Um, and, and chat with so many incredibly smart people. And I, I feel like I'm almost like not worthy to be on stage because all of you could probably give a very similar uh, talk up here. Um, and thanks a ton for, for inviting uh, me to have this conversation. So a little bit, a little bit about me. Uh, I took sort of a, an unconventional route to becoming uh, a marketing uh, director at a large software company. Uh, I started my career teaching fifth graders in inner city Houston uh, English language arts. Um, so not the most conventional start to a career in marketing, but I quickly transitioned, and this is going to make a ton of sense, into financial services, uh, where I uh, did digital marketing for, for one of uh, the nation's uh, largest banks. Uh, and then 
got a little bored of selling checking accounts and uh, business lines of credit. So went to Pluralsight because the, the mission really drew me, right? Making uh, it easier for technologists and engineers to learn and build the things that we all use today. Uh, so that's sort of how I made it to Pluralsight, and I've done everything at Pluralsight from leading a team of uh, account-based marketers uh, to field marketing, which is something I don't do anymore because it's not my favorite thing in the world. Uh, but really, my, my passion is uh, demand generation because it really sort of marries the art and the fun part of marketing and psychology and humans with numbers, which I also kind of enjoy as well. Uh, so that's, that's me, that's Koji. And myself, I, I run marketing at Mountain. We're a connected TV advertising platform. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Mountain uh, in just a moment. I guess just digging right into this sort of shop talk that we're gonna have, um, give us just a high level view of what demand gen looks like at Pluralsight. Yeah, so starting with sort of a, a two year journey uh, that I've been on, uh, when I first joined Pluralsight, we probably looked like most other tech company, you know, marketing teams. Uh, we had a robust lead generation uh, program. We spent like millions and millions of dollars a year acquiring leads, right? We had some of the fun $150 BANT leads. There were some $100, you know, middle funnel leads, some, some cheap $25 leads. We had, we had all of these leads, right? And the struggle that we saw initially was uh, we had like lofty expectations for really top of funnel leads um, in that we wanted to create pipeline instantly from really like middle funnel uh, type tactics. Um, and you know, what we discovered is that you know, seeing economic headwinds, right, we had to do something to change because we couldn't keep with the status quo. So we did something that was sort of contrarian, right? And we sort of have this dramatic uh, title for you here um, in that I think a lot of people would really try to juice bottom funnel uh, programs, like spend all your money on paid search, right? Or uh, have some creative bottom funnel LinkedIn conversation ads or something to, to get pipeline today. Uh, but what we found is that Part of the reason why some of our demand efforts were stalling wasn't that we didn't have our operations right in Google, like that was actually pretty good. It's that we were sort of squeezing the bottom funnel and trying to get everything out as possible, but we weren't really bringing in as many like quality, qualified hand raisers. So that's really been the journey over the last two years is how can we get more people to actually raise their hand and want to talk to sales uh, start a team-free trial. Like we really lean heavily into uh, a product-led strategy. We have a, a product that's really easy to just sign up and not have your credit card charged. Um, and yeah, you know, over two years for a company of our of our size, like we've improved that uh, bottom funnel hand raisers up market and enterprise and strategic accounts by about 15% just by starting to spend more money up funnel. And of course, right, Mountain is, is one of the partners that we use to uh, really storytell at the very top of the funnel. One thing that you've kind of mentioned in some conversations that we've had, and it's, it's a really fascinating point, and I think it's important for B2B marketers to hear this, 
and to think about this because we get so caught up in tactics and just metrics is, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was this, this idea of BDRs think in terms of you know, months, salespeople think in terms of years, but marketers think in terms of decades. And so what I'm curious about is what, what does that mean in the context of B2B marketing and how has that philosophy influenced your, your approach towards both brand marketing and performance marketing? Sure. Um, so this is a, a massive oversimplification. I know that, that John in his session uh, you know, mentioned something similar, but I think as marketers, we really need to understand the incentives and, obje and uh, objectives of the entire go-to-market team, right? Because uh, marketing can't really be successful if sales isn't successful, if, if BD is not successful, right? It's a, it's a team sport. Um, but I think it's important for marketers to understand that like we are, are like stewards, I don't know if that's too dramatic of a word, of a brand, right? So I'm a steward of Pluralsight. And it's my hope that in 10 years and 20 years, Pluralsight will still be a brand that's going to outlive, you know, probably the majority of people that are working here, you know, at, at, at our company today. Um, and I think one of the biggest takeaways, you know, uh, that I've had over the past couple of years between performance marketing, which marketers have to do, you still have quarterly goals. BD still has to hit their, their number this month. AEs need to hit their quota by the end of the year. But we can't make decisions as marketers that will sacrifice the longevity right, of the company. Um, and, and that's really difficult to do because stakeholders are gonna tell you, hey, we're gonna miss our number this month or this quarter. But we really need to make sure that next year, five years from now, there's pipeline that can recall who, who you are, right, your, your company, um, and you know, come inbound five years from now. Even though that's not gonna help you this quarter, it's critical for the business to make sure that you aren't under-investing in those um, or top of funnel or brand channels. And by the way, uh, brand marketing can also have performance out of it, right? Uh, I can't tell you how, you know, how often we see an uptick in branded search when we do top of funnel stuff, right? It's not like we have a, you know, a brand plural site ad and expect nothing in return. Like there's, that's icing on the cake when things come in. Um, so it's not mutually exclusive, right? Brand and performance really go hand in hand. Yeah, you know, uh, working in the TV space, one observation that I've had uh, has been, there's a lot of like legacy brand marketers who kind of, they, they embrace the fact that they don't use a lot of data in the work that they do. Um, they're almost proud of the fact that, oh, you know, data, I don't do that stuff. You know, I'm a brand marketer. That's not really in the scope of what I do. But really the thing that I've found myself telling a lot of brand marketers is that uh, it's kind of inexcusable for you if you have access to data that can inform your uh, brand decision making. It's kind of inexcusable not to use it. And it can also unlock a lot of creativity. As a brand marketer, um, if you have capabilities of kind of granular targeting, that's going to unlock some creativity in terms of what you do with your uh, TV creative, um, in, in our case. Um, and also just metrics generally. Uh, you know, as much as you can measure, even if you're a brand marketer, um, that could still just you know, unlock a ton of creativity. So that makes a ton of sense. 
Let's get even more granular here, just because I know everybody here is, uh, is, uh, is a bit of a geek. Um, let's talk about targeting. Um, and so what I'm curious about is, just broadly, across all the channels that you're using, how are you identifying the characteristics of your audience? How are you targeting them? On what channels are you doing it? Just, uh, just riff on targeting for a little bit. Yeah, so this is uh, you know, like a, a marketing 101 class. You know, you're, you get the framework, STP, segmentation, targeting, positioning. Uh, I think targeting is kind of the most fun part, yeah. right? It's, I think it's where uh, digital marketing, uh, especially digital B2B marketing, really shines. Yeah. Um, so I think of targeting as like, well, first, work with sales and product marketing. I, I should say that first. Um, yeah, let's you, be nice to sales. Yeah, if, if, you've, if you've been uh, you know, a company for a certain amount of time and have a certain number of, of customers, you probably have a good idea of like what the, the problem statement is, right? Of what your audience is trying to, to solve for. You probably have a good idea of like the technographics and the firmographics you need to kind of look for in the digital world. Um, but when we do our demand planning, right, when we start to build our audiences and find where exactly they are in the digital wild, um, I dissect our audience strategy into kind of two buckets. The first is what are we gonna do with our own first party data? Like we have millions of records in, in our CRM. Like how can we make sure that we are effectively structuring those audiences getting them into like an identity resolution system and sending them to different channels, right? Mountain takes in our CRM data. We use a ton of first party data within uh, different paid social uh, channels, including LinkedIn, which is, you know, I would imagine most of us probably spend more on LinkedIn than anywhere, except maybe, maybe Google. Um, so we make sure to sort of take care of our first party data first, right? That should be the most cost effective advertising that you do. And it can really help you cross sell if you have multiple products. Like those are typically the, the use cases that, uh, that we use. For third party uh, data, it's, it's a little bit uh, different and you really need to rely on like effective data partners. Uh, so we rely on Mountain to find a lot of those, those data partners. So our bread and butter is we sell into uh, like learning and development uh, managers, teams, VPs, as well as CIOs and CTOs and their direct reports. And we really look to introduce ourselves at the top of funnel in LinkedIn, in, in, in Mountain, in uh, even like YouTube, right? where we really try to find that persona and we don't, we don't like over-engineer it, right? Like we know generally what we need to go after. We have like thousands and thousands of customers and we also have a self-serve and B2C business of, of engineers and technologists where you don't need to, to think too hard about the top of the funnel, right? If people start to bite, then, right, the second part of targeting would probably be like, retargeting, right? So the, the more open and cost effective you can be at the top of funnel, as long as you're generally in the right market, you know, like I probably would not try to target like anyone in this room, right? But there's millions of households uh, that, uh, you know, would fit the, the profile that we're looking for. Um, 
and a ton of you know great third-party data is out there to be able to reach uh, you know people that fit the the profile we're going for. I think my observation of you know the the marketplace floor out there too is a lot of the exciting technology that I'm kind of observing in the B2B space is oriented around targeting just because, um, as we all know, usually that's some of our biggest constraints. This also leads to everybody's dependency on LinkedIn a lot, is the fact that we need really good firmographic targeting and it tend, you know, LinkedIn tends to be the first place that we go to when it comes to uh, B2B targeting of that sort of type. So, um, but I'm really excited to see a lot of the, the technology that's out there on the marketplace related to uh, audience targeting specifically. One, one thing that you and I were talking about last night that I think a lot of B2B marketers would sort of be interested in that same conversation is related to um, this idea of kind of like channels. Um, I think I'm certainly guilty of this all the time. We get so caught up in the channels that we use to do our job. I just riffed on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but we can get carried away doing that as B2B marketers as well. And, um, you know, a, a successful B2B demand gen strategy cannot just be specific to individual channels. There needs to be a meaningful strategy that kind of ties everything together. One, one point you were just making a second ago is about retargeting. We kind of view the idea of retargeting the same way, where it's, um, you know, we're, we're, we're using some channels to set up other channels rather than just looking at each channel in a silo. Um, tell us a little bit more about how retargeting fits into the uh, bigger picture uh, of your marketing strategy. Yeah, so uh, retargeting, you know, you look at your Tableau dashboard, you'll see that your campaigns that are retargeting campaigns uh, probably perform a lot better than your prospecting campaigns, and that's sort of obvious, right? Like you've already uh, gotten the awareness, right, and maybe even the consideration phase sort of checked off. Um, you know, I, I think about, so I don't think about channels, right, and, and I think that's like an important um, part about planning is, and, and that's not to say that, you know, you, you don't need like a really effective Google search person, right? That's, that's not what I'm saying. You do need expertise within channels, but you can't be super myopic yeah. and view channels in, in silos. Like retargeting should be a program, right? Because people that you're reaching don't really think about the channel that they're on. Maybe some people do that are probably marketers, right? But most people, aren't like, oh, I need to like research this B2B thing, therefore I must go to LinkedIn, right? Like they would probably be equally happy seeing an ad on YouTube, assuming there's any joy that comes out of seeing advertising. <laughs> um, you know, they would be equally happy, you know, seeing like an email newsletter that they like, right? So I think the most important element of retargeting is be where your customers are and where you can reach them with a really compelling message and a really compelling offer, right? Um, so my best advice would be figure out what people do in their spare time and while they're at work and find them there, right? There's a really good chance that people watch big TVs, right? There's a really good chance that they're on their phone. So what are we doing to make sure that we are top of mind and can also drive conversions, right? 
wherever they might be on whatever platform they are, on whatever device they're at. Like there needs to be really compelling retargeting programs and offers available uh, for your audience because like they are omni-channel, right? And they're not thinking about specific channels, they're on just about everything. And if, if resources allow, you should try to be everywhere as well. So, uh, you know, one thing that's interesting to a lot of B2B marketers, I think a lot of B2B marketers are kind of wrapping their heads around advertising on television. It's, I think for some, it's kind of counterintuitive because linear TV advertising was never really a viable option for uh, B2B marketers, but connected TV for a variety of reasons uh, can be. Um, I, I, I guess you're, you're in a better position than I am to kind of speak to uh, how, I guess fundamentally, how do you find your target audience? I mean, because we're talking about something that isn't like a consumer product. This is something that um, you have a very defined, well-defined buyer, um, and uh, the audiences are going to be fundamentally smaller than some sort of comparable consumer marketing campaign. How are you finding your audience on TV? Yeah, so, uh, you know, going back to the first party, third party, two buckets, First party for us is pretty pretty easy. You know, we can get our first party data uh, into a YouTube, right? Into paid social and do truly like introduction and like informing type campaigns. Um, but I found, maybe you found too, like a real limitation with people that you don't know and how to find them. Um, you know, people, people try their hardest to find uh, their buyers in Meta right, and it's probably a mixed bag for people that are going into Meta trying to like introduce themselves in that uh, paid social platform. Uh, so, you know, one of our big realizations like 18 months ago is we needed to find a partner that didn't just do like display ads, like nothing against display ads, but that's not, uh, I don't think display ads will help you hit your number uh, that often, um, but I think that like TV, something that's consumable and unskippable on a TV, which I think is important, uh, is, is super important. So that's why we partnered with, with Mountain, you know, for the last 18 months, yeah. right, is because we had a ton of data that was available to use in the platform where we could buy like high intent B2B buyer, right, within this type of, um, you know, a tech buyer, engineering buyer, whatever. And then we also had a bunch of like retargeting options. So we could also use connected TV to retarget off of deep site visits, uh, our pricing page, anyone that's dabbled around with free trials as a way to, you know, to hit them when they're watching ESPN, right? Is to make sure that, hey, you didn't convert. It's a free trial. Like, let's try this again, right? Come back to our website. Um, and I think, What's super surprising is you wouldn't necessarily expect like actual revenue to come up from a TV ad, but one thing that I do like about Mountain is we can show that actually uh, we can get site visits. You know, I think we have like seven dollar you know cost per per visit after uh, a Mountain ad served, and I think all of us would be like thrilled if we were running LinkedIn campaigns and and saw like sub ten dollar visits to our website to see our pricing and, and stuff like that. Yeah, along those lines, because we, we use our own platform to target 
our own prospects on television. And considering the fact that there's salespeople people here, um, probably the best feedback I get from sales is their, their favorite thing is when they pick up the phone to call a prospect and the prospect says, I saw you on TV last night. I saw your ad on TV last night. I was, I was streaming TV and I saw your ad. Like that's precisely the kind of recall that uh, sales folks really like uh, when, they, uh, when they pick up the phone. So certainly uh, makes sense. One point that you kind of made is, you know, someone's watching ESPN and, uh, and, and your ad appears. And that's one thing that's always been exciting for me about connected television is the fact that brands can kind of punch above their weight. Specifically, B2B brands really stand to benefit uh, because of the delivery of these campaigns on these really premium networks. I don't know, have you put any thought into the fact that Pluralsight is being placed onto these really kind of like premium networks and what that experience actually means for your brand? Yeah, uh, I think for, for all marketers in this room, the following step, statement might resonate. So I think every year in January, February, someone in sales will reach out to me or someone on the marketing team and ask if we're gonna do a Super Bowl ad. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, uh, I, th I think sometimes it's like t tongue in cheek, right? But I think uh, the reason why people do Super Bowl ads on linear TV is it, it gives a ton of credibility to the brand, right? If you have, I don't know, like, 25, 30 million dollars. I've never done a Super Bowl ad, so I actually don't know the price. Uh, I've always said no. Um, you know, like it, it gives a ton of credibility to the brand, right? And I think the same thing can be achieved, maybe not the same, similar thing can be achieved for B2B brands on connected TV. Because when you are streaming, you know, like your, your favorite like Bundesliga match on Saturday morning, like I do, and I see one of my own ads because I'm a deep site visitor on my own website that gets retargeted. Like there's a ton of like, you know, like credibility I think that, that exists as a result. Um, so I think it's super important to like latch on to brands that people already like, right? Like if you love ESPN or CNN or HGTV, right? You see other brands being advertised and suddenly there's, I think, some, some positive linkage that, that happens as a result. So I think it's super important, right, to make sure that when you are advertising on CTV that you're really thoughtful about what placements you are on and what you're not on because, you know, there's going to be real takeaways from the viewers that they might not actively be thinking about, but passively in the back of their mind, they're like, oh, I like ESPN, oh, I'm an engineer, plural site. At least that's why what, what I hope happens. Koji uh, sees plural site ads when he's watching European soccer. I see mountain ads when I'm watching Real Housewives of Orange County. Uh, so uh, we land in the same place, but yes. we're watching very different things. Um, one thing that I want to talk about, you, you touched on display ads a, a moment ago. I feel like this is it's a little nuanced. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think. In my experience doing performance marketing as a B2B marketer, just picking up some sort of like display vendor and just doing a dedicated display campaign, um, the results have never been that great for me. One thing that I really like about the platform that we have at Mountain is with multi-touch, it's, it's, it's different. Uh, in this case, the display ads are tethered to a performance TV campaign. It's sort of, it's unlocked by the TV impression. 
Um, and I feel like it just creates even more touch points where uh, performance marketers, I, I feel like it, it feels a little obvious to a lot of performance marketers to kind of tether a complementary uh, display campaign to the delivery of their TV campaign. Tell us about multi-touch and yeah. how that's worked in the context of your TV campaign. Yeah, so to be clear, you know, I was not the person at Pluralsight to be like, hey, like, we need to throw some display ads into this too, <laughs> right? Like, that was a, a, an utterance that I did not make. Um, but one thing that is really good about the Mountain Platform is you can actually attribute things to like the entire program, right? So I think we all understand that very few people are gonna make a B2B purchase whether it's you know, through uh, talking with sales or through some self-serve motion after the first impression has been served, right? I, I, I would be shocked to, to find out if that's what happened. Realistically, there's probably between 15 and 30 marketing touches that you need to have on, on mass, right? Like on, on, a, on a big audience um, before someone actually converts. So the reason why we do use multi-touch is because TV ads are relatively more expensive than display ads, right? So if you wanna drive your average cost of conversion down, marrying the CTV offering with complementary display ads is important. And, and what I should also say is, like whenever making uh, a certain marketing investment decision, you really need to think about the, like the, uh, objective on the website, right? Contact sales is going to be super costly, right? You, like if you're judging the efficacy of, of CTV by how many people directly go and want to talk to sales, you might be setting yourself up for disappointment. But if you do have a self-serve motion, a free trial type thing where it's a little bit, you know, uh, where there's less friction, I think you can have like a really clear tie between the more top of funnel marketing activities, whether it's you know through just CTV or um, display as, as part of it. Um, yeah. And, and that totally ties with a lot of kind of best practices in terms of when you're sending signals back to the platform, you want to give it as many signals as possible. So going up funnel makes sense because that's more signals to optimize against. Um, let's talk about your website for a second. You had just kind of mentioned that. Um, tell us a little bit about the impact of all of the traffic that's originating from your TV campaigns into your website, and then tactically, what are you doing with that traffic that you're bringing in? Yeah, so the, the website is by far the most important owned digital asset a company has. And I think one of the first objectives of marketing, right, in, in a B2B business is to get people to the website, right? People aren't going to purchase a $50,000 or $500,000 piece of software uh, without first visiting the website. I, I don't think that happens very often. Um, so, you know, one of the most important things that I, that I look to for any sort of top of funnel investment is the impact on branded search, right? Whether that's organic or paid. Uh, what we find is over the last two years that we've been at Pluralsight, as we've spent more money up funnel, we've seen massive benefits to our like branded search, right? People actually typing Pluralsight in Google 
and Microsoft Bing, which uh, does not get enough love. Uh, but if you go after the public sector, they actually kind of like Bing. Uh, so that's just a, a fun nugget that you get Pro for tip. free. Um, and th there's that linear relationship, right? That as we get our message out more, people will actually search for us. And what, you know, I, I sort of did some, some data digging within our, our own data uh, yesterday, because I was expecting this question. <laughs> um, you know, what we found in, this is gonna be a random thing, like in Q2 of 2022, our branded uh, term paid search was five, created five times more pipeline than our like non-branded, right? So any way that you can get people to know your brand, recall your brand, and then actually take action, right? And search for it, go to the website and take a, a digital action on the website, like that's what you have to do. And then you need to plan what happens next, right? If they don't convert, then what, right? There needs to be a continuous journey where you're providing the right offer or the right message wherever they might be. So a true like omni-channel strategy is important. And it's, if you were to map out like the modern uh, user journey, it will not look like a funnel. Like when, when we plan our, our, our demand plans, we try to make it a funnel where we have money towards our introduce phase, our inform stage, our convert stage, and our close stage. But in practice, it's just like a bunch of like squiggles all over the place. Because um, that's how people buy, and you need to make sure that you're planning right for the modern buying behavior, which is not really that linear or a funnel. The, the, the last thing I want to talk about, just to kind of move away from TV uh, to conclude here, is a point that you've kind of gone back to. And I think it's really important for all of us as B2B marketers to think about this, uh, which is brand building in the context of uh, running a demand gen operation, having obligations to the business, whatever your targets may be, they're likely very similar. We, we all probably have likely very similar MQL-related uh, targets. So how, how do you, how have you, in your experience, kind of um, made clear internally, got buy-in internally from your own team and also people outside of your team to care about uh, the aspects of brand building, knowing that it's gonna have a downstream effect on all the work of the demand gen machine. How's, how's, what's your approach been towards kind of getting that buy-in? Yeah, uh, I, to be honest, I think initially it was an absolute gamble and I just hoped that it would pay off. <laughs> uh, that's, that's my raw, unfiltered answer, right? Is that um, you're not going to be able to attribute pipeline to the channels you're investing in. Uh, it's all gonna come in through the website or through you know, free trials, like something that's not Mountain, right? Or YouTube or yeah. whatever. Um, and I think like we just had to repeat ourselves that like our goal is to get demo requests and the best demo requests come inbound. So we're gonna do everything we can to make sure that more people start to search for us visit our website and convert. And you know, when, you, when we looked at our data, right, our kind of legacy lead generation you know, conversion rates, like on a good day, right, we were batting uh, 
030, right? 3%, right? To, to create an opportunity. Um, that's not great. You give that to a sales leader and you're like, hey, 3% are converting into an opportunity with a close rate of 30%. Like, that's not good, right? <laughs> that's, that's a rounding here down to zero, um, which, which isn't great. But then you show what happens when you have those tier one hot leads that come in where 50% of them turn into a legitimate opportunity with a much higher close rate. And suddenly they're going to be like, oh, and to get more of that, you need to do this marketing stuff. <laughs> and they, they start to get it, right? But I think that the most critical thing is to just do it and almost like trust your intuition. Like ask yourself, does it make sense to only spend money on paid search? Like, how are people gonna know what to type if you aren't doing other stuff, right? So I think that's the most, like, if, if you take away anything, right, from, from this conversation that we're having, I hope the takeaway is, like, trust your gut and do good marketing at the top of funnel and middle funnel, and you're gonna reap the rewards in the bottom of the funnel but if you just keep spending a ton of money doing bottom funnel tactics for people that aren't actually in the bottom of your funnel, um, you know, you're, you're gonna be set up for, for probably a weaker pipeline than you'd like. I, I too have heard salespeople tell me, do more of that marketing stuff. Yeah, it's, that's, that's what I hear all the time from sales folks. Um, <laughs> Look, folks, uh, I, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of having a couple of these conversations with Koji now, and I'm, I'm really grateful that uh, all of you got to kind of like listen in on it for, for a second. So if you could just give him a round of applause, I really, really appreciate that. Wow, Ali and Koji did not hold back about how repeatedly hitting the lower stage of the funnel burns through budgets and starting at the top with targeted awareness is absolutely key. Definitely. Their discussion about how funding each stage of the funnel helps build a sustainable pipeline definitely hit a chord with many marketers. So with that, I'll let you all marinate in those insights and existentially reevaluate your funnels. While you do that, make sure to follow along with us on social media to stay up to date on the latest podcast news and make sure to register for the B2B Marketing Exchange today. We might be getting close, but folks, there is still time to register. Yes, definitely plenty of time to get your ticket, book your flight, and see us at Scottsdale. We'll actually be live on the show floor at the event recording future episodes. So if you're there, make sure to stop by and say hi. Thank you all again for tuning in today, and I look forward to hopefully seeing you in Scottsdale. Take care, everyone. <laughs>